and welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Ben. And I'm Sarah. Thank you for listening to us today. How are you doing today, Sarah? Doing all right. Got all of our errands done. Uh, Finished up some Christmas shopping. I believe we still have two gifts, at least on my list, that I still need to get. But otherwise, I think I'm pretty good. How was your day? Um, my day was all right. Um, I have, I think, one gift left to get on my list for Christmas. And yeah, today was kind of a quiet day, I suppose. Um, while you were out doing the errands, I was out learning about this week's movie. <laughs> uh, what is this week's movie? This week's movie, Sarah, is Woman Eater from 1958. Directed by Charles Saunders. Um, perhaps a not so direct inspiration for Nelly Furtado's Man Eater song? No, I think the inspiration for Nelly Furtado's Man Eater song is the concept of a man eater. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I will say that the woman eater of this film is not the good kind. <laughs> DJ Khaled, he's up with this monster, eh? Um, so th- <laughs> I feel like that was pre-pandemic that he, he talked about Oh, yeah, that. that, that's yeah, an old that's, that's reference old. at this point. So this film comes to us courtesy of producer Guido Cohen and director Charles Saunders who were the team who had previously brought us The Man Without a Body, which we covered in episode 211. And that movie did not impress us. It really didn't. You'd think a movie about a beheaded Nostradamus in the, like, current day would be more interesting. And yet. And yet. So Guido Cohen, the producer of this movie, was born in Italy in 1915, and he got his start in the British film industry as a subtitler. And by the 1950s, he was producing his own films in partnership with Charles Saunders. Saunders didn't actually direct The Man Without a Body. That was W. Lee Wilder. Um, But listeners will remember that Saunders' name was on the film in order to secure funding for the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Saunders was born in London in 1904, and he entered the film industry in the 1930s during the quota quickie era when you just needed to have product to put out there, uh, beginning with a romantic comedy called No Exit, which he wrote, directed, and produced. However, he spent the majority of the 1930s and 40s doing things other than making his own movies. He worked as an art director, an editor, and a second unit director before becoming a director again in the late 1940s and spending the 1950s directing low-budget movies as well as episodes of television. By the late 1950s, he was firmly in the B-movie sphere. So we have this film, which is a genre picture. (laughs) Uh, He also did a lot of crime thrillers, but his other movie of 1958 was Nudist Paradise. Ooh. 
uh exploitation yeah exploitation movie it's basically exactly what it sounds like um <laughs> this guy falls a in documentary the... about a nudist colony mm, it's it's not a documentary but it's also like it's this guy falls in love with this woman who he finds out is part of a nudist colony that's that's the that's it um <laughs> it was highly financially successful yeah where else are you gonna see tna exactly um saunders would retire in 1962 after the crime thriller danger by my side and he would pass away in 1997 at age 93 so like the man without a body this film stars george caloris the english stage actor best remembered for his time in orson welles's mercury theater company uh, where he played mark antony in their famous version of julius caesar and walter parks thatcher in welles's debut film citizen kane after two decades in hollywood he had returned to britain in the 1950s continuing on stage and on film with a return to roles in higher profile movies in the 1970s before his death in 1989 at age 85 actress marpissa dawn appears in a small role in this film as a native sacrifice girl Oh, no. A year before she won the role of Eurydice in Marcel Camus's famous film, Black Orpheus. Wait, so if she is a sacrifice in this movie, then it's... Oh, okay. I was hoping for, like, I don't know, a lady killing? Like, a lady monster killing ladies? This sounds more like only ladies who are virgins can be sacrificed to the eater of women. Yes. Um. So the woman eater of the title is a flesh eating tree haven't we already seen something like that what was that uh that That was was from hell it came yes yes uh which had a paul blaisdell walking tree monster yes um but didn't necessarily eat flesh or women exclusively either uh yeah no this is a flesh eating tree and i believe the mad scientist of this movie needs to feed women to it in order to produce a sap that brings immortality. Okay. We'll find out when we watch the movie. Um, but yeah, um, Marpa Don was like a really beautiful African-American Filipino model who like was a cover model for Ebony and stuff like that uh, in the 1950s. And yeah, small role here, but film buffs will know her from Black Orpheus. The female lead is played by Vera Day, a 23-year-old blonde bombshell who dropped out of school to begin modeling at age 15 and began appearing on stage as a showgirl at age 19. She started acting in films the following year, and we saw her in Quatermass 2. She was the, like, young girl at the tavern. Oh, yeah, who almost dies or something, right? Yes, that's right. Another famous beauty featured in this movie is Sarah Layton, who was 21 years old when she appeared here. So Sarah Layton had a short stint as an actress at the start of, you know, when she was young, but eventually she achieved success, recognition, and fame in her chosen field, which was portrait painting. While she was, you know, renowned for her whole life for her beauty, she became highly sought after by the rich and powerful Uh, for her to paint their portraits. These subjects included uh, the Queen Mother, Lord Olivier, the Prince of Wales, the Princess Royal, Gloria Swanson, Sir Roger Moore, the Lord's Beaverbrook, David Niven, etc., etc. That's really cool. I guess um, she didn't like 
sort of traditional like sittings for portraits. So for the queen mother, she just like got permission to like follow her around with a sketchbook for like several, several days before producing her portrait. That's cool. So as you may have been able to intuit, uh, this is a very cheap film. Yes. And it had uh, even more than its fair share of difficulties because um, they were shooting at Twickenham Studios um, with a little bit of like location shooting in London. And so they built, you know, everything out in Twickenham. And just before shooting began, a fire broke out at Twickenham and the flesh-eating tree that is the woman eater of the title was destroyed in the fire leaving <laughs> wrap it up boys we defeated it <laughs> if only we had the cameras rolling at the same time so the prop department had two days to make a replacement which was largely considered unsatisfactory by all involved but the movie's low budget and tight schedule just wouldn't allow for anything else so woman eater was released in april of 1958 by eros films on a double bill with Blonde in Bondage. Oh my God. Amazing. It was given an X rating by the BBFC. However, in the US, it was released in July of 1959 by Columbia Pictures on a double bill with Ishiro Honda's The H-Man and advertised as a kids matinee movie. So what's the over-under of this actually being horror? Well, contemporary reviews were largely negative. (laughs) Modern reviews are more mixed, with some critics giving the movie praise for doing what it could with few resources. But modern critics also draw attention to the exploitative nature of the premise, the way that there are, like, I guess, POV shots from the POV of the tree, as, like, screaming women are being fed to it. Um, Oh, my God. With some critics going so far as to declare this to be a highly misogynist film. Uh, One critic, like, was quoted as saying it's the most misogynist film they've ever seen, which, Um. to be honest, (laughs) like, I think you need to, like, well, maybe not. I was about to say you need to see more films, (laughs) but... I can guarantee there are way more misogynist movies than Woman Eater from 1958. Uh, but that is not to say that this movie is not going to be misogynist. Well, it was released on DVD by Image Entertainment in 2000. So if you do want to figure out where it stands on the list of most to least misogynist films of all time... You can watch along by finding a copy of that DVD. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss Woman Eater from 1958, directed by Charles Saunders. See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back to Scream Scene. We just finished watching Woman Eater from 1958, directed by Charles Saunders. Ben, first thoughts? This is a very mean-spirited movie. 
Yes. Asterisk. I find a lot of like British media inadvertently is mean spirited. Fair observation. Yeah. Speaking very, very generally. Yeah, in a very broad, broad sense. Yeah. It's not the worst. No. But it it's also like overwhelmingly mediocre. Yeah, it's it's not bad enough to be truly bad. Yeah. But it's not good enough to be interesting either. It's yeah. just trash. Yeah. But let me dig into the plot synopsis so anyone who had the pleasure of not watching this movie will also be brought up to speed with how mediocre this movie is. Mm-hmm. So we start off following a Dr. Moran. He is planning an expedition to the Amazon jungle because he's heard of a tribe there that seems to have the ability to bring back the dead. He wants to go see it for himself. He's also a scientist. He gets there uh, and he sees a secret ceremony of this tribe where this woman is in a trance through the drums and then gets sacrificed to a carnivorous tree. Now, Dr. Moran has some jungle fever, so he's brought back to England. Five years later, we're in England, and it appears that Dr. Moran has brought either the singular tree or one of the trees to Britain, as well as a tribe member named Tonga, and they have been sacrificing local British women to the tree in order to get its sap and then from that sap make a serum that will bring back the dead. This seems like a zero-sum game to me, but I'll get into that later. (laughs) So we see them sacrifice this young girl, get the sap, make the serum, and inject it into a heart. And the heart does start beating, um, but only for like five minutes. It's a very short amount of time. Now, there is a police investigation into the disappearance of a tourist. Um, Her name was Susan, and we are shown a glamour shot of her, and she's the girl that we saw being sacrificed to this tree. Um, So the police are investigating, but they're not, like, bumbling in the sense of, like, here's comedic relief, but definitely seem to not be asking enough questions. Well, you know, they come to a rich old white guy's house and they're like, hey, have you seen this disappeared girl? And he says no. And they go, cool, you're rich and old and white. We'll take your word for it. That's that's sort of what's going on here. Yeah. There is a nearby fair, like little carnival fair going on. And uh, we see this sideshow stand that features a woman named Sally Norton doing a hula dance, despite being the blondest whitest girl you've ever seen and she happens to meet local jack venner jack owns a local like garage (laughs) he's like do you want to come back to my garage and i'm like um but it's his place of work it's not just like a garage he has or sorry we're we're in the uk garage uh garage garage uh he's like come back to my garage Now, Jack is talking Sally up when she's supposed to be working. Her boss comes over to be like, what the fuck? Get back to work. And Jack socks the boss in the jaw, leading to Sally being fired. So the next morning, she walks over to the garage and is like, hey, you're the only person I know in this town. And I got fired. Any tips for work? (laughs) 
Yeah, because like she was working for a like a traveling fair, right? So like if you work a job like that and you're fired, you're just stuck in whatever town they were in, right? And Jack goes, huh, well, there is the um, old rich white guy, Dr. Moran. He has an old housekeeper and maybe he's looking for like some extra help around the house to help his old housekeeper. So she's like, great. So she goes and the current housekeeper, her name is Margaret. By old, I would say she's middle aged. Mm -hmm. Um, And despite her objections to Dr. Moran about like, I can keep up with the housework. What what's the deal here? Moran hires Sally. Next, we see Moran is on the lookout for another victim. Um, and he's like, no, Tenga, it's not going to be Sally. I'm going to go to London and pick up a girl from Piccadilly Circus. So Moran heads out and brings back a woman named Judy. We see her get fed to the tree and how much Tenga just loves feeding this tree. And now Margaret, she sees that Moran leaves and comes back with a girl and she's getting awfully jealous. So she confronts him, asking like, where do you go at night where you leave me here at home? And Moran's like, Margaret, like, you're my housekeeper. <laughs> but uh, like, apparently they did have like a thing way back. Um, but that stopped five years ago. And he's made it clear, like, I'm not interested anymore. But she keeps at it. But anyway, so she's super jealous that Sally is here now because Sally is blonde and perky. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Moran that night is like, no, Marge, like, we're done. This is not happening. Get it into your head. She pulls out a knife and goes (laughs) to stab him. And he turns around, stops her and strangles her. And she's dead. Now, concurrently to all of this, um, Sally and Jack have been seeing each other because it's been about two weeks um, and they're engaged. Um, The morning after the night that Marge is murdered, Sally is planning to leave. She's like, I'm done with this. Like, she just thinks Margaret is sick in bed, but she's like, I've had enough of this house and I'm getting married. Like, I'm quitting. I want to leave. But Dr. Moran won't accept her resignation because I love you, Sally. You can't leave me. Turns out, I guess Marge was right the whole time. Yeah, even though there was no inclination from Dr. Moran at all. Mm-hmm. Unless maybe, like, if I ignore the girl, then she'll fall in love with me. Maybe that's what he was thinking. Anyways, so he's like, no, like, don't you want to know what my experiment is? You can share in the glory with me. And she's like, no, I don't like this. And he's like, too bad, and takes it down into the basement. Now, Jack knew that Sally was planning on leaving in the morning, and she was going to come down to his garage And she's not there. So he's getting suspicious. He heads up to the mansion and Dr. Moran's like, yeah, no, Sally left this morning. I I don't know. I haven't seen her. And Jack's like, hmm, suspicious and goes to the cops. The cops, meanwhile, are uh, headed over to Moran's because they found some evidence about Susan, that first girl. uh, Well, first that we see um, that connects her to being near the Moran estate the night she went missing. Um, So they're headed there. Meanwhile, uh, Moran uh, shows Sally the basement, the tree, Tenga, all of that stuff. And Tenga's like, oh, a pretty girl down here? And starts beating the drums. And then is disappointed when 
Dr. Moran's like, no, she's not for tree. She's for another kind of wood, Tanga. And Tanga's all disappointed because he just likes to murder. Sally gets to watch as Dr. Moran takes the serum out um, into a syringe and jabs this cadaver covered with a sheet. And you might be thinking, where did he get a dead body? Surprise! Turns out this is Marge's dead body. She comes back to life, but she is basically a zombie. She has no brain. And when Moran realizes this, he turns to Tank and says, You cheated me! You and your tribe! I was supposed to be able to, like, bring her back fully. And Tanka laughs and says, No, the brain is for us only. Like, I did you. cheat you. Yeah, yes. what you gonna do about it, dude? Meanwhile, Margaret goes to try to, like, strangle Sally, and then she expires because the serum only works for, like, five minutes. As... Moran is examining Marge's body. Tango grabs Sally uh, roughly enough to tear her shirt mm-hmm. um, and tries to take her to the tree. Moran stops him and they're struggling. Just as Jack arrives into the house with the police, the police search upstairs and Jack heads to the basement, grabs Sally and gets the fuck out of there. Moran and Tango continue to struggle, eventually leading to Moran lighting the tree on fire by throwing some chemicals on it. And then as he tries to escape, Tango throws a knife into his back and then uh, goes and sits and prays at the burning tree. And that's the end. Mm -hmm. So you did a very good job with the synopsis there, Sarah, by essentially smoothing over a lot of this movie's rough patches yeah. Do we want to talk about all of the plot holes first, or do we want to talk about the misogyny first? Uh, let's talk about the misogyny first. Okay. So, for example, like, okay, so the most obvious examples of misogyny are towards Sally, but there's a fair share lobbed towards Marge as well. Yeah, no one who's a woman gets treated well in no. this movie. Um, But I think to point to a specific scene to kind of exemplify the movie. Sally is at Jack's garage and she's like, hey, I'm here for my date, like that we're going on. And he's like, oh, sweet. Like, let me just finish up this car. Uh, I know you know nothing about cars because you're a woman, but can you try to maybe pass me this wire and pass me the pliers? No, they're over there. No, bitch, they're right in fucking in front of you. Pass me the fucking pliers. Can't you do anything right? Okay, now hold the light so I can see what I'm doing. Not into my eyes, you bitch. Lower it. Oh, now I can see your breasts. That's great. Perfect. Hold it right there. Not into my eyes. Come on. And then she like storms off. And this is the scene where they get engaged, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As yeah. he's doing this shit. Yeah, like midway through like berate. Now, to be fair, listener, Sarah's exaggerating slightly so that you can get the idea because, um, of course, these are British people in the 1950s. So, yeah, if they're you know, going to say bitch, it's going to be towards a female dog. <laughs> like, oh, that bitch looks like she's for good breeding. <laughs> the point is, is that the tone is about right. He is like constantly berating her uh, for being like a stupid woman. And then like midway through that berating, he's like, so why don't we get married? The thing is, so Dr. Moran is also an asshole. Yeah. Um, he calls Margaret stupid a bunch for very little reason. You know, he, he treats Sally poorly. I mean, he murders women, obviously. Um, (laughs) 
it's just it's a bad sign when your hero and your villain are like equally awful to the main female character and the reason we're supposed to side with the hero you know in quotes because it's not like he does much in the way of heroics he gets her out of there yeah he walks down some stairs and helps her up them back again he's young and handsome and he doesn't murder people but <laughs> jack's an asshole absolutely um, and this movie has just like a really poor vibe towards women i guess you could say and it's like every interaction mm -hmm. because it's just the culture it seems and i don't mean like british culture i mean like just the culture when you're embedded into a culture where this is just how you speak to women you're not really aware of like how frequently you refer to them in these ways it's it's weird right because the movie doesn't really play the way jack treats sally as wrong exactly she does get like upset with him and like storm off and then like comes back and says well i guess if we get married you'll um, just have to teach me about cars yeah or whatever right yeah so it's like as if it's trying to be some bantery stuff but it it goes too far yeah it's it's trying to be bantery stuff but like there isn't enough well i mean the problem is is that the relationship between jack and sally is like fucked from day one right because his whole thing is like oh i spotted a hot chick dancing at the like come see the hot chick dancing stand at the carnival i'm gonna like distract her away from her work declare that i'm in love with her um which you know as a hot chick who dances for a living is not exactly like a unique or interesting thing for her to hear and then when her boss comes over to be like hey you're supposed to be working i'm gonna deck him in the face because how dare he talk to you and then when that gets you fired surprise surprise uh you're gonna have to be stuck with me in this like town if you are someone who thinks like that's a great plan for getting with a girl you're an asshole and then, like, from every moment on, he's just, like, a jerk to her about everything. Mm -hmm. the, the, the scene where she comes to his garage at the start and she's like, oh, I lost my job and I have nowhere to go because of you. And he's like, oh, that's great. That means that there'll be no one for you to talk to except for me and you'll have to fall in love with me. Like, he literally basically says that, right? Yeah, he literally says, then I have no competition. Yeah, while she's, like, stuck out here in the middle of nowhere. Like, yeah. Yeah, everyone is really bad to women in this movie. It makes it hard to watch. The movie is only an hour and 10 minutes, which which makes it easier. But yeah, man. Yeah. It's 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 rough. Onto the plot holes. Yeah, the script was written as if it's on like autopilot and that works if you're like watching it on autopilot because i think you can kind of fill in most of the blanks yourself if you've seen enough of these kinds of movies but if you're actually paying attention there's just like a lot of missing pieces yeah like why what is dr moran's motivation beyond i'm a scientist therefore bring back dead yeah so i he thought he was going to have like a long dead wife or, or something. something but yeah it's it's margaret who he brings back who he just killed yesterday yeah, which I mean, like, to be fair, that is a better person to bring back to life than a whole new character. Who sure. Was, like, this frozen chick in the basement. But, like, the other thing is, I mean, he seems to be motivated just solely by, like, glory, right? But 
what we sort of learn is that like he's had to be killing women for like five years to feed the tree enough to produce enough serum to animate Margaret for five minutes. Mm -hmm. So like his whole thing where he's like, Oh, you know, all of this murder is justified because once I can come up with the serum, like I can bring people back to life. Right. But okay. If you have to kill a person to bring another person back to life, that's a zero sum game. Ultimately, like, are you actually ahead of the game in any way? Right. Also, the cops are so bad. If women have been disappearing for five years and they've only just noticed it. Like, let's say it's like one girl a month. Right. That's a lot of women. It might be because potentially if he's been grabbing all the other women from like London and bringing them back, it's like, Oh, that's a missing woman in a major metropolis. And we never connected it to this weird kook who like lives, you know, an hour's drive out of town. And they noticed it with Susan because she was like a girl on holiday who like happened to be walking through his grounds. And he was like, ah, convenient. And like bonked her on the head and brought her in. Right. But like when we see him stalking Judy Mm -hmm. in Piccadilly circus, there's a sex worker mm-hmm. who approaches him and he keeps walking. So it's not like he's choosing yeah, anyone. It's hard to understand like what his criteria is. Yeah. Cause like, listen, we're in the fifties. I can understand the police being shit at investigating missing sex workers. Cause that's kind of how it is today. Mm-hmm. But Judy seems to have like, there are multiple witnesses to see Moran with her. Sure. Like, um, I don't know. It's it's just odd. And yeah. if this is how he's picking his victims, like someone would have seen something over the course of five years. Yeah, the five years thing is weird. But like the weirdest part of it is so he goes to the Amazon and he sees this ceremony and then he kind of like passes out. And then there's a scene where they wake him up back at like camp. And it's like, yeah, he was mumbling something about trees and sacrifices, but he's got the jungle fever. And then we just cut to like, he's back at his house and he got the tree and Tonga with him from the Amazon. We don't see how that happens. Yeah. We just get the like five years later. Yeah. Like he says that, oh, your people cheated me, but there's no scene where like we see him go and like make a deal with the people to take the tree or take like a a cutting of the tree or yeah. And like the, this tribe is shown worshiping this tree. He says this tree is this tribe's idol. Right. So, If there's only one tree, I can't really imagine him being able to take it nicely. And if there are saplings, I still like, I'm like, I don't see how this works. He's also just like got Tonga with him. And there's like no explanation. Like it just cuts to like Tonga's in his basement playing the drums while he sacrifices a girl to the tree. This is one of those things, like I said, where like you can kind of like connect the dots in your head, but it's a little bit disarming watching the movie um yeah other like weird holes in the story are sally's got like a bunch of scenes where she comes to jack over the course of the movie where she's like something's not right about that guy and that house gives me the creeps and like i'm getting out of there which are like very standard scenes but we don't get any scenes of her like doing anything in the house yeah like there's no scene of her like settling in and like oh there's eyes watching me from the painting or bumps in the night or or, or anything like yeah. she comes and she gets the job and then she has another scene where she quits the job and there's nothing in between and even marge is like yeah something's weird in this house but i stay because i love you 
there's nothing like I can understand Marge being a little more weirded out by the house because she's been here longer. Mm -hmm. And so she's been able to see that like there's weird things afoot behind this iron door behind these curtains. There's, There's not even a secret passage, Ben. It's just behind some curtains. Okay, here's the thing. As an audience member who has seen these kinds of movies many, many times, when Sally goes up to the house and is like, hey, I'm a sexy young woman. Do you have any openings for sexy young women at your murder mansion? And the doc's like, yes, absolutely. As an audience member, the obvious thing here is like, oh, she's going to be his next victim. She just walked into his web because he's clearly, you know, hunting down sexy young women to sacrifice for the tree. Yet that thought doesn't seem to cross the doctor's mind because even with Sally living in the house with him, he still drives out to London to go track down Judy all night. Yeah. Which is really weird. And so it's like when she comes in, he first turns her down and then goes, no, you know what? I will hire you. And it's like that thought has occurred to him that she will be the next victim. But then it just turns out he loves her. And there's nothing in the script, nothing in his performance that shows that he's like interested in her beyond being like, the normal level of like man being creepy to sexy lady yeah. in a 1950s movie. Yeah, like he's an old man and she's like a hot blonde chick in sweaters that are too tight and in like cone bras. Yeah. Um, but Good yeah. posture though. Right. But like, yeah, there's nothing that like indicates anything more than the normal amount of gawking. Basically, it's not like Jack who like immediately is like, I love you, Sally. Yeah. You know, and absolutely. so so when his declaration of love comes out of nowhere after he's already killed Margaret, like it's like, did you get this idea from Margaret? Were you like, <laughs> actually, now that you're lying dead on the cold floor, you might have had something there. Maybe I am in love with Sally. But like there's no she's not getting the heebie jeebies from anywhere. It's just because like she knows what movie she's in, like she's read the script. And then he's saying to her. I'm sure you must have wondered what's behind the mysterious curtains, but like there hasn't been the standard scene where like maybe she's cleaning in his office and like pulls the curtain back and sees the door and goes, Oh doctor, what's up with these iron doors? And he's like, stay away from those. Like that never happens. Yeah. It's like, as I said, the movie was written on autopilot and just sort of is going like, Oh yeah, we must've done a scene like that because these sorts of movies always have scenes like that without actually Doing the scene. Doing the scene, yeah. And then the ending is just kind of nothing. Like, okay, the movie's just feels really guilty of going through the motions. Like, the story's just kind of happening without regard to, like, setting things up, which gives it a very and-then feeling of storytelling, like, as if it's getting made up as we go. Yes, but... It knows when it's time to end the movie. Like it, it ends like a universal movie. Mm, you know? Yes. So it, I have to give it credit for at least that. The tree goes up in flames and the movie is over. Yeah. We don't cut back to uh, Jack and Sally. I will say that the movie makers definitely seem to have understood quite well that the appeal of woman eater was the women because they are all gorgeous eye candy. And the movie absolutely knows that, that's what we're here for, basically. Yes, I would definitely put this in the exploitation 
genre. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not be as fully an exploitation film as, um, what was that one? Blondes mm-hmm. in Bars or something? Blonde in Bondage. Yeah. But it's it definitely makes sense as a double feature, you know? Um, and... <sighs> It's not a surprise that it's um, leaning into exploitation when it's also being a horror movie. Hmm. Um, The point of view shots of the girls coming towards the camera as they were being forced towards the tree. I liked those uh, because it was that blending of horror and exploitation and Mm -hmm. it worked well. Yeah, honestly, like the movie would have been better if more of its limited runtime was taken up with seeing this tree, which basically, listener... The tree is like if there's a guy in a tree costume, but like non-mobile, and he's got his like arms in like the branches and is kind of just moving them around. And the branches are kind of vine-like. Yeah. They have that kind of fluidity. It does have like multiple appendages that are moving and they're, it it looked like either there were two eye stalks or like they were like crab thingies kind of like up by they were closer together Hmm. there but it it also could have just been more appendages it didn't really have like the recognizable face of a paul blaisdell carnivorous tree and i kind of wanted it to have a giant mouth right you know yeah because it's eating the women but we don't actually see like an orifice for it to be sticking them into you know what i mean (laughs) i i think that the movie would have been better if more of its screen time was tree eating women and like less of it was like watching like men be jerks yeah because like you know i think the reason why there isn't more tree eating women is because the filmmakers were sort of aware of how bad and unconvincing the tree looked and also because like in 1958 people probably like weren't really ready for like let's watch this woman writhe around wrapped up in vines getting eaten by a tree yet we definitely get that but during a fade to black yeah exactly it's like we'll tease you yeah they don't linger on it the other interesting thing with this film that i can't tell if it's on purpose um just the quality of the film that we watched or both uh, but there were times where they were doing a warped effect. Mm-hmm. The first time you see it is when we were looking at the Amazonian woman mm-hmm. when she's being entranced by the drums. And so you think, oh, well, that's kind of neat to show that she's in a trance and stuff. And then as the movie goes on, there are random warps and warbles and strange cuts. Yeah, there's times where it seems like the tripod isn't locked off so when they try to like do a pan or a tilt everything goes all over the place so it makes for some like really unique and interesting edits yes but there's no purpose behind them so you're like okay that must be a mistake or something with like how old this movie is there are times where the warbles i don't know is there like a technical term sure okay um when that happens on a character when there's like no need for it like they aren't in a trance they aren't like in a crazed state it just is happening it was really hard to tell if it was something inherent to the movie or just the copy we were watching it kind of to me looked a little bit like um basically an artifact of a bad telecine so like if you had warps in the film from like you know the film just being in bad shape like it was too hot or something or it wasn't secured in the gate 
properly. So as it's being put through the telecine, like the actual film itself is wavering and warping as it's being recorded by the video camera. The telecine is what kind of lines it up with the lens or? The telecine is literally the process of like cinema to television. Um, So if you're watching like a video of a film, like obviously you're not watching the film. So before digital scanning, what it was was you literally just like ran the film through essentially a projector and then just sort of pointed a video camera like at the projector uh, as the film ran through. So if the film had warping in it or, you know, just like wasn't secure in the gate, so it was kind of wavering as it went down through the gate, um, you might have that kind of wavering of the image. But there's there's stuff that looks like it can't be that. Like it, it really looks like as if like the yeah. camera operator is drunk or like. And there were times where like the cuts would be like the camera is about to drop and kind of like quickly like spins down <laughs> left mm-hmm. and then it cuts to like a swing up right. Yeah. From, to a different scene or a different shot. It, 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 it's like as if like when they finished a scene, the camera operator just like let go of the camera and it just sort of you know with the tripod not being fully locked off like just sort of like swung down to point at the (laughs) ground and then when they started the next scene he just sort of swung it back up again and someone decided not to cut that out of the film or something it's weird um but it's really interesting (laughs) so if you are someone who is interested in like experimental film (laughs) Or the way that film will experiment with cuts. This might be an interesting movie to watch. Yeah, assuming that it wasn't just like some weird artifact of the version we happen to be watching, right? Fair. I will say that this is a better movie than Man Without a Body. Yes. Um, This isn't one of the worst films we've seen, both in terms of like horror and its misogyny. But like I said at the top, it just feels mediocre. The man without a body, or sorry, the head? Yeah, man without a body. The man without He has a head. <laughs> That's all he has. The man without a body had such a unique premise and then was so boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did everything nothing else. With it was it. like worse than mediocre. I thought Vera Day, who plays Sally, was likable in her way. Yeah, she isn't bringing much to the movie. Um, I feel like she's like naturally just like nice. Yeah. Um, she's not really enhancing the role in any sort of way no she's just like got some natural charisma which like puts her above a lot of the other people yeah Yeah. george caloris is clearly like struggling to make this script work yeah i think you know he's trying to deliver lines like there's more oomph and pizzazz not in a campy way no he's trying to act in such a way that maybe his performance might like smooth over the rough patches in the script is kind of the feeling but he's no david carradine <laughs> you know he's no i don't know bella lugosi or even a george zuko yeah so it doesn't quite work but you know commend the effort it's amazing that they got an hour and 10 minutes out of how much story there is here because the thing is is like you know, when you put it all together and do a synopsis like Sarah did, like not a lot happens in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we um we have one scene and then we're on the plane to the Amazon. And I was like, that's really fast. Like they, they know they have like 
another hour to do well things, yeah it's, right? it's it's almost bizarre how fast like the start of the movie is it's like and we're on the plane to the Amazon and then we're seeing that ritual and then he's got jungle fever and now we're back in England five years later and he's got the tree and Tonga. And you're like, you could have explained something. That some could of have that. been a whole movie. Right. Um, and instead we just get like the next 60 minutes after that of like, well, need to find some girls to feed to this tree, <laughs> I guess. The eternal pursuit. The cops, like I said, they aren't the worst. They just ineffective yeah and they're not comic relief which is like always a concern with british movies it seems sure i i trace it back to james whale yes <laughs> so um the man without a body uh which is what these people worked on before this um and the previous death tree movie from hell it came are both on the miscellaneous list they both didn't manage to rank wow so do we want to talk about whether this is horror or not? Um, and then if so, to move on to ranking. I think this is horror. I just mm. think it's bad. I agree. It has all of the tropes of the time frame of like mad scientist and, you know, death. Secluded mansion, weird dungeon basement, experiments that like, okay, let's stop for a second. Here's the other weird thing plot hole not a plot hole but just like a thing that the script doesn't bother explaining in this movie so he's a scientist mm -hmm. but he seems to have like no scientific interest in why is there a moving carnivorous tree whose sap can cure death that can like only be satiated with the like feeding it virginal young well maybe not virginal but young human women who can be put into a trance by like this guy over here playing the bongos. Like none of that is explained. Like it's basically the tree might as well be magic. And then he's just sort of extracting its goo to make a science brew with it. But like yeah, any equipment he has um, are just like the test tube. So it might as well be alchemy. Yeah. Like he's doing chemistry, but the tree is magic I mean, there were carnivorous plants out there. Sure, sure, sure. But, but like, they, but we don't dig into like why only one gender of a species. Yeah, he doesn't. He he doesn't question yeah. any of the like native superstition stuff. He's just like, yeah, that's how it works, and like takes it with him yeah. wholesale, right? That's that's his racism showing. <laughs> <laughs> or like not like that's like very respectful of like native beliefs to just be like, oh, you say it's a god that you, we need to feed women to. Cool, I'll take that as red. Um. <laughs> No, no, no. Okay, but yeah, but so horror movie because of mm -hmm. because of that. It's there's a monster tree in the basement. Yeah, and I think because of the way it brings in the exploitation mm -hmm. elements and the way that it uses those kind of exploitation tropes to enhance what it's trying to do as horror kind of helps solidify its footing here. Yeah, and then there's the like score to the movie, which is just someone sort of improvising on a piano but they're like not allowed to go above middle c yeah this score is actually pretty good i did enjoy it i do love the theremin singer um very <laughs> like reminiscent of star trek and i i love original series scoring yeah. so super into this score yeah there's a woman who's like a vocalist honestly it's kind of like dementia 
mm-hmm. where she's just like wordless, but it sounds like they're trying. It's like they couldn't afford a theremin. <laughs> so they're like, we need you to sound like a theremin. And she was like, all right, got it. Anyways. Uh, yes. I, I think this is horror. I just think it's bad. Yeah. Same. So where were you looking then? I had a hard time figuring out how bad this is. Mm-hmm. That can sometimes be a trouble. Um, But the movie that, for whatever reason, this felt most akin to, to me, was The Spider-Woman Strikes Back, uh, which is way down at 193. I think just the, like... Weren't those plants carnivorous as well? Because she does have plants in the basement. Yes, there's carnivorous plants that she's feeding people to in order to get, I think, something from. Maybe it's, like, youth potion or something yeah um and you know she's this weird old lady in this house she's like middle-aged ben she's gail sondergaard um (laughs) and you know there's a a young woman who comes to like work for her and and gets caught up on it so so that movie felt very similar to me um this feels about as good as that um that movie had Universal Studios and Gail Sondergaard and, and Rondo Hatton and then like just didn't really do anything with any of them also has a bad ending right above that is the mad ghoul which is not a great movie either um, but above that is crime of Dr. Crespi which is bad but it's got Dwight Fry and Eric von Stroheim in it so I think this is worse than crime of Dr. Crespi and then working down from there, we've got a lot of junk. But at 197, there's Mesa of Lost Women, which is like not a functional movie in the way that like this is at least a functional movie. Mm-hmm. So my range is 192 to 197. So um, when I was first ranking, I first thought of comparing this to The She-Creature. Okay. Um, and I think it's probably just because of like woman eater she creature i don't know and i was like yeah no we're going below and then i kind of landed around 169 voodoo island because it also had carnivorous plants Mm -hmm. and as terribly made as it is i think it's kind of a better made movie a lot of it is on location and the plants were done better Mm -hmm. um so i kind of continued looking down And then I kind of got into the range where you are, but I settled around 177 with Iban Gesheng. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, that movie's really well done, even though it's like not the best made movie and its makeup is really good. Mm -hmm. So I knew that Woman Eater would go below that. And then below that is Bride of the Gorilla, which I remember us critiquing for being so misogynist as well. So I kind of was like, all right, let's see what Ben has to say about comparing Woman Eater with Bride of the Gorilla. So I made that my ceiling. Looking down, um, kind of stopped at The Monster Maker at 181 because that movie is also structured very strangely. That one has um, the random ape and the dog as well as the... Right. Mega- the acromegaly guy? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I made that my floor. So my range is pretty narrow, 178 to 181. That is above where you were looking. If we look between our ranges, that's a difference of 10 films, uh, 181 to 191, basically. Um, so the mid range there is like La Llorona, The Monster, um, The Catman of Paris. Um, I think 
the reason why I ended up lower was because like I was kind of looking at all these movies as well. Mm -hmm. But like La Llorona is bad and a mess but like it's culturally interesting and has like an interesting point of view and has something to say about colonialism um the monster mostly a comedy but um you know it's got lon cheney and it establishes a lot of like old dark house genre tropes three cases of murder this is is probably scarier as like a british movie yeah this british movie at least is not like it's at least trying to like be a little taboo and and stuff in a way that three cases of murder like just did not have the balls for um well i am going to suggest below the monster and above three cases of murder the reason below the monster is that movie like to be fair it's silent Mm -hmm. but there was a lot of really interesting camera stuff going on and they you know had the tradition of doing those kinds of shots and camera techniques in that movie it wasn't innovative in that way but compared to this movie, I feel like a lot of those shots and angles were more exciting. Well, yeah, like at least Roland West, like it always felt like he was trying to make a good movie and trying to make his current movie better than the last movie he made and was like into the idea of his movies looking good and being better than other people's. So, yeah, I'm inclined to st- I'm inclined to agree with you. I think Three Cases of Murder is probably, like, better made. Yeah. But it's not horror enough because it's, like, so, so polite. So, yeah. Okay, let's do that. Coming into the list at the new number 188 is Woman Eater from 1958, directed by Charles Saunders. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can find links to the other episodes that we have mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line through our ask box on Tumblr. You can reach out over email at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com or talk to us on Twitter at underscore screamscene. Screamscene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can help the show out by leaving us a rating or a review. Subscribe to the show using our RSS feed and talk to your friends about the show. And if you have the means, you can help the show out financially by heading over to patreon.com slash Podcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Patrons at the $5 and $10 levels get access to regular bonus content. Uh, $10 patrons just got access to a piece by Sarah comparing Twilight and Wuthering Heights. And I know you guys all want to get in on that. So <laughs> check it out at patreon.com slash Podcast. There's also the poll for the next horror adjacent episode that is up. The theme is Silent Nights. So all of the films are silent. And um, it just so happened that Paul Lenny had two films in the running and they are both leading with um, 1928's The Man Who Laughs uh, leading by like two votes. Um, So if you would like to put your two cents in, you'll have to put your two cents into the Patreon in order to vote. (laughs) So what are we watching next week, Ben? Next week, Sarah, we are watching an American AIP B-movie with the title The Astounding She-Monster. Ah. Well, this sounds like it'll be an actual monster who's a lady. Yes. Not just 
a creature that only eats ladies. Correct. We will see you then, creatures of the night. Bye. Bye. Bye.